Philippians chapter, Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get a Bible to you. Philippians 2. Where did we end up? Where did we end? You guys were here two weeks ago, yeah? 15, 16, 18. We're just going to go back and get a running start. Verse 1, chapter 1. Here we go. <laughs> You do remember we talked about the mind of Christ, yes? That we're to have, that we're to apply, right? Super crucial that we have the mind of Christ and we walk in that. What was the mind of Christ? Do you guys remember what Paul told us, right? Jesus made himself of no reputation, number one. A servant humbled himself and obedient, right? Even to the point of death. And so that's the mind that we are to have, a mind that, the mind that says, I don't need to be about my reputation or about my little kingdom, to be of no reputation, to be a servant, to serve the Lord, to use the gifts that he's given us so graciously in the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the things and, and to see his kingdom furthered through our lives and to humble ourselves, to recognize that we need the Lord. I'm in desperate need of him, that that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, that he might lift us up and to use us in the way that he desires to use us to be obedient. We communicate our love for our Lord by our, our obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. And his, commandment, his commandments are not burdensome. John would write, why? Because it boils down to loving God and loving others, Right? He's made it simple. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things. And so, Lord, thank you this morning for your goodness, your grace. Thank you for the privilege that you've given us of being your kiddos, of being involved in your work. Thank you for sharing, Lord, your ministry with us and giving us everything we need to be successful in what you've called us to do, what you've called us to be. And so, Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Thank you that you know what we need to hear and that you would work in a special way by your spirit, a fresh work of your spirit within each one of our hearts, our lives, our homes, and in your church. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, let's jump back to verse 12. How about that? Therefore, in light of, Paul just got done speaking about having the mind of Christ, Therefore, my beloved, I love you guys, I love you all, Paul's saying, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so the apostle Paul says, beloved, you've, what your lives have been marked by is obedience, and I'm encouraging you to keep walking in obedience, to, to, to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Can we work for our salvation? Can we earn salvation? 
No, absolutely not. Salvation is a free gift, correct? We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? By grace, through faith, we are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, it's the Lord who, when we put our trust in him, he gives us the free gift of eternal life. But we are to work out what he's put into us. And so we are to walk in what he has called us to walk in, that we are to, as the Philippians are encouraged here, to keep walking in obedience to God, in obedience to his word. Well, that's tough, isn't it? That's super hard. That's hard to do, isn't it? No? That's easy for you guys? It's hard to do, isn't it? It's impossible. Well, look what Paul says next. For, for what? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so you guys know a miracle happened when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, correct? God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit came and took residence in your heart and in your life. He came, and he, he came to get as close as possible to you. He came right into you. He's in you. You're connected to him. But notice what it says. It's not only he gives us the will, the desire to do his word, but he, gives us, he couples it with his power his strength to do his word. Isn't that good news this morning? He gives us what we need to do what he's calling us to do, to be what he's calling us to be, and it's for his good pleasure. It makes him real happy to do that. That's glorious. And then he goes on to say what? He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. I think we skipped that verse last time, right? Because we'd have no problems with that. Is that right? Or am I... Too much vacation for you, Pastor. But this is, this is so important, isn't it? Do how much? All things without complaining. Every time, listen, when we complain, when we complain, we're complaining against God. Are you with me on that? That's what, remember, remember the children of Israel? Wasn't that the, one of their problems? They were always complaining. And Moses said, you're not complaining against us. You're complaining against the Lord. And the Lord would say later to the children of Israel, you're complaining against me of my care, of my love. Is God working all things together for good in your life? Is that a good promise to hold on to? I mean, we just sang that God will have the final say. Do you know God's word will have the final say in your life? That's awesome, isn't it? If he's working all things together for good, all means the good, the bad, the ugly, not partial things, everything he's doing in your life, he's going to work it together for good somehow, some way, so we have no need to complain. Okay, this is a gnarly situation I'm going through, but I can have joy in this situation, correct? Where's Paul writing from, by the way, this letter? Right from prison. He's not writing from Club Med. He's in, he's in prison. It's heavy. He's in chains. And what robs many of us of our joy? What, what robs you of your joy this morning? Think about that with me for a second. When things don't go our way so often, right? Oh, it didn't work out the way I... Oh, I get... Is God in control? Is God sovereign? If he's working all things together for good, I can say, you know what? This is gnarly what's going on, but I'll choose to praise him and rejoice because, Lord, you're working this out in some way, somehow... For my good and for your glory and for my growth, Lord, I need to grow up. And so do all things without complaining, without griping. Paul is suffering and he has joy and he's teaching us we can have joy in whatever circumstance we are in, no matter how difficult, no matter how heavy, because joy flows from our connection with Jesus, right? 
Joy flows from our connection with him and our connection with our brothers and sisters. First John chapter 1, John wrote that we would have the fullness of joy, and it's connected with our relationship with the Lord and with one another, and it's all because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we get to have joy in our lives. And so stop complaining and disputing, that's fighting, arguing. Notice what he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? That you may become blameless. So when, you, when, when, when someone tries to criticize you, it doesn't stick. You can't be blamed. And harmless. You're not toxic. You know, when we grumble and complain, it's toxic. It affects those around us, doesn't it? It affects the people around us. When we're arguing and fighting, it's toxic. Isn't it toxic? Our kids see that, Right? How do you feel when your kids fight? Isn't it such a bummer? Isn't it when our kids, your kids ever like rumble, like <laughs> bump heads? It's a, for parents, isn't it a bummer? It's like, oh, come on, guys. Let's get along. Let's move forward. Right? How much more Heavenly Father, when he sees us bumping heads and, and rumbling, it's like, you know what? Blessed are the peacemakers. That little, that little tiff, that little argument is not going to matter. That little dispute. And and remember with me, Paul's not only thanking the Philippians for their care for him and helping him to, to further the ministry, they supported him, but he's also trying to deal with an issue between two women in the church we're going to learn about later. You guys remember their names? I'm seeing a lot of blank stares. Remember their names? Chapter 4, Euodia and Syntyche, something like that. We're not, we're not told what the issue is, but... Their fighting has the potential to detonate the entire work that's going on. That's heavy, isn't it? Two women have, have the potential to divide the entire church and to destroy the work that's going on there. That's heavy. And so Paul's trying to help them to get along, stop the grumbling, stop the complaining, stop the disputing. That little tiff, that little argument, is it going to matter in heaven? It's not going to matter in heaven. And so he says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. No one can point the finger at you in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do we live in a crooked and perverse generation right now? God's word is eternal. It's, it, it is as relevant then as it is now, by the way. Are you with me? God's word is always relevant. We always need the word of God. We live in a midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but when we're doing things without complaining and disputing, look what it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And isn't that the case? Because you go, tomorrow you go to work or you go to school. Do people grumble and complain at school and in the workplace, in your neighborhood, maybe in your family? Do people fight in the workplace, at school? They do, don't they? But when you are not doing that, guess what? You stand out. You stick out. You shine in a certain way. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a, under a bushel, under a basket, right? Get it out where everyone can see so that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And part of that is doing all things without grumbling and disputing. People will start to look at your life and go, wow, how come you're not joining in? How come, you're not, how come you're not complaining about this? How come you're not fighting with your coworker? How come you're not getting involved with this little fight on campus? And you get to say what? You get to say, you know what? Because of Jesus. 
because he's the one living in my heart. I've given my heart to him, and I've chosen to follow him, and this is what he tells me to do, and this is how to experience joy in my life. Are you guys with me still this morning? Super important. And so he says that you shine as lights in the world so your life is lighting the place up, holding fast the word of life. This is so good. So the negative is what? Do all things without grumbling, complaining, and disputing. That's the negative. The positive is to hold fast. What does it mean to hold fast? Like, what is, this is the word of life right here, correct? This is the word of life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. This is the word of life right here. Hold fast. It means you cherish it. You cherish it. It means is this is the most important influence in your life. It means man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That means this, has become, this becomes the, not only the most important influence in my life, this is where I spend my time listening to the Lord's voice, hearing from Him. I'm cherishing this. I'm holding, I'm holding fast. No one's taking this away from me. I've got it hidden in my heart that I might not sin against Him. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But it also means, check this out, that word hold fast also means to hold forth. You know what that means? That means this is something that we need to be sharing with others. Those people, those coworkers, those people in the workplace, those people at school, not only do we shine with our lives, but with our lips, we have something to share. We have something to share because people watch our lives, especially when we're going through difficulty, and you say you're a Christian, and you're living it before them, and you're not grumbling, you're not complaining, you're not fighting with people, and people are watching your life, and, you, and they say to you, wow, there's something different about you. What are you tapped into? How can you have joy in what you're facing right now? And again, what do we get to hold forth? We get to hold forth the word of life to them. Why? Because they are in desperate need of life, and life comes from Jesus. And we have the word of life that has the DNA to change someone's life. Do you guys believe that? The, the seed of God's word has the DNA to change someone's life. Are you with, it change, is it changing your life? Is the word of God changing your life? It is, isn't it? it? The word of God works effectively in those who believe. It's the word of God that has the power to change us and to, to bring healing and to bring help and to fixing and change into our lives. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds with the word of God. And so we are to have something to share with others to hold forth or hold fast the word of life so that, verse 16, I think this is where we left off, maybe, maybe not. That's enough of an intro, correct? So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. This is so heavy right here, what Paul's saying, what he's communicating. And it's a good heavy. Paul's like, I want to celebrate you when Jesus comes. You know Jesus is coming, by the way? Every, listen, every New Testament author spoke about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. You know what imminent means? It means any minute. Well, wait a minute. That's been 2,000 years, Mike. What are you talking about, man? I believe, personally, he wanted every generation to be expected, expectantly waiting for his return, looking, because it does something. It purifies our lives. It keeps us 
with our hearts and minds affixed on things that are eternal and not things that are temporal. If Jesus could come back at any moment, which he could come back any moment. He said he's coming how as a thief in the... How does a thief in the night come? Does he give you a heads up? Text message? Snapchat? You, 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 you know what he does? Leave a little note on your door? Be there at 12. I'll be there at 2.15. Sharp, buckaroo. <laughs> thief doesn't tell you, right? It's unexpected. It's like, boom. That's the way Jesus is coming. And Paul's like, I want to rejoice when we see Jesus face to face. I don't want my labor, my walk to be in vain, my labor to be in vain. Isn't that heavy? He says that. I don't want to be a failure in my race. I don't want my work to be done in vain. And all of Paul's legacy, this is so important, it was all wrapped up in people. It wasn't wrapped up in buildings or programs or, or having his name put up somewhere. It was all in the people that he ministered to and cared for. Paul's personal walk, listen, Paul's personal walk and his work in the Lord ending up in vain was a troublesome thought to Paul. It's troublesome. Thessalonians, a little amen back there, yeah. He said it in Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, and he said it to the Galatians, and he says it here also. He was concerned about the work, the people he was invested in, it being in vain. And I, I find that heavy this morning. Paul didn't want, number one, he didn't want, didn't want to run the way he did for nothing. Paul ran hard, didn't he? Paul got saved, and he was stubborn for the things of the world and religion. He was stubborn for Jesus, wasn't he, after he got saved? After he got rescued and given a fresh start, he was full on for Jesus. And that's the only way to live, I believe. Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. Lukewarm makes me, makes me barf, man. <laughs> makes me sick. And so Paul ran hard, full on. He encouraged the church in 1 Corinthians, man, don't run aimlessly. Don't just get in the race to get the free t-shirt and the goodie bag. You run to win the race. You guys remember that? He talks about the Hebrews chapter 12. Lay aside the weight and the sin that would so easily beset you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, running with endurance. Man, Paul's, Paul's saying here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you guys to get this right. I don't want my work, my walk to be in vain. Paul was serious about the condition of those he ministered to, that he cared for, that he pastored. And it's sobering. It's, to me, this is so sobering. He's like, I need, to hear, I need you to hear what I'm saying. I need you to hear what I'm saying and to obey what I'm saying so that when I stand before Jesus for the work that I've done, it will not be in vain. And again, think about this with me. The work was in danger because of two ladies, just two. We don't know how big the church was. Two ladies fighting in the church, and it's so dangerous that if it's not brought under control, the work can be detonated, wiped out. That's heavy, that the work would be in vain. Is that heavy? To, is that sobering to you guys? A conflict between just two people has the power to undo the work of an apostle. That's heavy. But here's the thing. It happens in churches. Did you know that? Let me, give, let me illustrate for us. A couple wants to get divorced unbiblically. And what happens in the church? What happens to the congregation? We're forced to do what? To take sides. And then what happens? It's Hatfields and McCoys. It's fighting with one another. Are you, you guys know what I'm talking about here? It happens. 
Sadly, because we don't do things God's way and we, pay the, we, 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 we suffer the consequences for that. But the bottom line is we've, we've, put our, we've elevated our pride over the word of God. If, if we're not afraid to divide the church, divide the work of Jesus Christ because of our pride and selfishness, look out. That is having no fear of God before our eyes. And so Paul's serious with them. He's like, listen, you guys need to be a one heart, one mind. Stop the grumbling. Stop the disputing. Hold fast the word of God. Be shining brightly for the Lord. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, look what he says, 17 and 18. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice in service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, with y'all. Paul was Southern. See that right there? Does anybody see that with me? Southern Tarsus, I think he was from that region. <laughs> For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. And so Paul uses imagery that was very familiar to the listeners both people from a Jewish background and from a Gentile background as well. When they would bring their offerings, sometimes they would bring this drink offering and they would take the cup of, of wine or whatever was in it and they would pour it out on the sacrifice and it was communicating something to the one that you're worshiping. You're saying, my life is yours. I'm pouring out my life for you. My life is a blank check, Lord, you spend my life any way you want. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Have you said that to the Lord? Lord, here's my life. You spend it any way you want. Isn't that what we pray, though? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy, you know, when we pray that, when we pray thy will be, we're saying my will goes, your will be done in my life. Your choice, your desire. I remember praying that prayer after I got saved, saying, Lord, here's my life. You do whatever you want with my life. I'll go wherever, at whatever cost, whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm down. Here's my life. Anybody else pray that prayer? The, but the problem is we take back parts of our lives after some, t some point in time. Are you with me? Rather than saying, Lord, here's my life. It's yours Paul said to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you. In light of all that Jesus has done, this is your reasonable service to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. It's the only, it is the only response that makes sense in light of all that Jesus has done for you and for me. It's to say, here, Lord, Here's my life, a living sacrifice. And Paul's saying that here. I've, I've poured out my life, but notice what he says. As a sacrifice, the service of your faith, and it makes me really happy. Did you, did you notice that? I am glad and rejoice with you all. Sacrifice, service. When you think of those two words, what do you think? Hard, ugh, bummer. Sacrifice, service. He, 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 what does he couple with it? Gladness and rejoicing. Why? Listen, because pouring out your life for others, to see them grow in their walk with Jesus, you know what it brings? It brings joy. It brings joy. 
brings joy into our lives. Jesus said it. Jesus spoke about it in John chapter 15 in the gospel or John chapter 13, John chapter, John chapter 15. You obey him. You do those things in service and you experience joy in your life. Paul got it. He's saying this is, this is the path of joy, service, sacrifice for others. Where was Paul again? He's in prison. Paul found joy in what he was doing at this time. Listen, this morning, can you find joy where God has you right now? Can you find joy where God has you right now? Again, do you know he's begun a good work in you? Is he going to complete it? Do you know he's working all things together for good? Is he going to do is he going to keep that promise? He sure is. This is so beautiful. And so every job that we do is important to God when we do it with him. We include him. Say, Lord, this is for you. I just want to bless you. I want to please you. Especially caring for others, helping others, pouring out your life for Jesus. You know, he said, I'm pouring out here. Who or what do you pour out for this morning? What do you pour out your life for? And some of you guys, I know, listen, you're pouring out into your kids. You're pouring out to the kids here. You're pouring out your life in different ways to minister to others. And the beautiful thing is, can I remind you this morning, that Jesus will pour into you. Jesus said, come to me and drink. All you are thirsty. And what will happen out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. It's so beautiful because we pour out, we, we, we run out, we get empty, we come right back to Jesus and we get filled up in order to keep pouring out. John 7, if you're looking for that reference, John chapter 7, it's so beautiful. We pour out and he pours in to us. And so Paul's like, I'm okay with my life being poured out, seeing you grow and experience all that God has for you. Please rejoice with me, verse 18. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You too, be happy with me. Let's rejoice together and so so beautiful and then verse 19 look what paul says he says but i trust in the lord jesus to send timothy to you shortly that i also may be encouraged encouraged when i know your state for i have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state why for all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. This is so beautiful. So Paul's trust was in Jesus. Did you guys see that at the beginning and end of this section? He says, I'm trusting in the Lord. In other words, Paul's plans, I think it's a simple lesson, Paul's plans were yielded to the Lord. Lord, whatever you want to do, your way, um, your timing, Lord, however you want to do this, this is what I want to do, but I give it, to, I give the plans to you. And he says, I want to send Timothy to you. I hope to do that soon. You guys remember who Timothy was? He was like Paul's sidekick, protege. Paul viewed him as a son in the faith. They linked up on Paul's second missionary journey. Timothy joined the apostle Paul, and they did ministry together. And so I love what Paul says here. He's sending him why, that I would be, that Paul said that I would be encouraged, 
that I would be literally bolstered from within, that my soul would be made well. That's what it literally means, that my soul would be made well. Isn't it interesting? We have the, we have the, the ability to make someone's soul well. Paul's like, I'm sending Timothy over to you that you guys might make my soul well when I hear how you're doing, when I know your state. To me, that, that's remarkable. That's a beautiful thing. And Timothy, was Timothy older or younger than Paul? I think there's a little lesson here. Timothy was someone that Paul poured into. He had a vital connection with this younger brother and vice versa. Do you know it is so important in the church to have older saints? You guys know that this morning? That are pouring into the younger saints? And the younger saints being willing to be poured into by the older saints. We've had, years ago, we had a lady come here, and she was an older lady, more mature lady, rather. And she said, I'm looking at the church, and it's all young people. I don't think I'm going to fit in here. I'm like, no, 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 no. You fit in here. Like, anybody could fit in here, right? Calvary Chapel, I mean, it's awesome. But we need older saints, mature saints. When Tanya and I first started going to Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, the church we got sent from 20 years ago or whatever it was, there were, no, there were hardly any young people. And I am eternally grateful. Why? Because the older saints poured into me. And I got to see what a godly marriage looks like. I got to see how we are to treat our spouses and to treat our children because it was, a, it was an example to me. They were an example to us in the way that they handled people, the way they handled their business. And it was glorious because they were saints that were willing to open up and to share, and not only to share with, with, with words, but with their lives just to watch them. Can I just encourage us in that, younger saints, it's okay to be a friend to an older saint? Because sometimes it's like, man, a bunch of old, <laughs> old fogies in here. <laughs> Listen, I am eternally grateful that I have those older saints pouring into me. It is an absolute, we, we need that dynamic within the church. It's absolutely crucial. And so Paul, we see here, he cared about others, how they were doing. He cared about their condition. That's love. And Paul said, look at this. Paul said, I have no one else like-minded. I don't know about you, but that is, to me, that is a troublesome thought. No one around him. Where was he? He was in prison in what? Where was he at? In Rome. So maybe he's speaking of the Roman Christians here. Paul had no other believers, no other brothers and sisters at that time who were like-minded. That word like-minded means having a soul connection or soulmates or connected deeply. It speaks of having the same values, same, same direction, same attitude, same way to handle a situation. I would say having the same mind, like-minded, having the mind of Christ and walking in the mind of Christ who will legitimately care for your well-being, Paul said, your welfare, your concerns, except for Timothy. Timothy's like, your concerns are my concerns. I care about you. It's beyond, it's legitimate. It's, it's sincerely care about. There's, there's no phoniness. Phony, listen, phoniness destroys real relationships, by the way. He sincerely cared about them. This is love. And listen, um, when, when, when we do that, when we care for others, we stand out. We shine as lights, you guys. 
And so it's tragic. Why are these people so rare? Why are these people so rare? Why, why were they rare then? Why are they rare now? Look at the next verse. The answer's right in the, right in the verse. Four, because all seek their own. You know what that means? It's all about me, myself, and I. Self-seeking, self-promotion, self-absorbed. Is, but isn't that our problem, by the way? That's our problem. Yes, is that our problem? It is. Problem is, so often we don't care about others. We just care about ourselves. And the example Jesus gives us, the mind of Christ, is what? Is to be others-centered, to pour into others, to care for others, to love others. And so notice also it says in that verse, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. They're not seeking Jesus' things. Rather than being concerned about spiritual things, eternal things, most of the people there were selfish and self-serving, doing or saying whatever they could to get whatever they wanted, furthering their own agenda. And the question is, what do we seek this morning? Do we seek the things that are of Jesus? Or do we seek the things of our own? (laughs) There's a contrast here. In Timothy, the example we see in Timothy, the example that's set before us is Timothy being selfless and loving and caring, not trying to manipulate people or get them to to fulfill his desires. Timothy sincerely cared for these people. And that's the kind of people we need to be, the people we need to surround ourselves with, by the way, too, in the church. uh, When we have the mind of Christ, we begin to care about the things Jesus cares about, and that's others. But you know, verse 22, look look what Paul said about him. But you know his proven, you're well aware of his proven, his tested character. You're well aware of his makeup, of his behavior. And that tells me Timothy's life was tested He was proven to be genuine, to be the real deal. And that happens over time, by the way. Correct? Over time, they saw who he was. Over time, they saw he was consistent and faithful, that he genuinely cared about them. People don't care what you know till they know what? Till they know you care. It's so true, isn't it? And they knew, they knew that Timothy cared and loved them. And he said, "As a, you saw the relationship that we have with one another, like a father and son together, or a father and a child. We served together. We did, literally, we did slave labor together. He did the dirty work with me in ministry. Listen, selfish people don't do dirty work. Selfless people do dirty work. They sacrifice, they love, and they find joy because it's about the gospel. Look what it says. He served with me in the gospel. Jesus died for our sins died on the cross, rose again on the third day. He forgives us, gives us a fresh start, the privilege of serving him, being involved in his work, and the gospel is at the core of all of this. That's why we have joy in our lives. Therefore, in light of this, look at verse 23. My desire is to send him to you right away after I see how things roll out here with me. I trust Jesus will also allow me to come to see you also soon. And I, you know, I'm challenged by this passage, and you know why? Because if Paul was my, my leader, could he say these things about me that he says about Timothy? Could he say those things about you this morning that he says about Timothy? Am I willing to be sent? Am I walking in the mind of Christ? Am I willing to do whatever is necessary for the furtherance 
of the kingdom. Yet I considered it necessary. Look at verse 25 as we finish these last couple verses. Yet I considered it necessary. I looked at the situation and determined to do what? To send to you Epaphroditus. If you're taking notes, you can look at this later. In chapter 4, verse 18, we find out that it was Epaphroditus that delivered the love gift to Paul in Rome. He's the one that traveled. He's the one that, when the church asked, who wants to be a delivery boy or delivery girl? He said, I'm willing. I'm down. I'll make this treacherous journey. I'll travel all these miles, put my life on the line to bring that love gift to Paul and to minister to him. And what happened was when he finally came, you know what happened? He got sick to the point of death. And now he's recovered, and Paul's like, I want to send him back to you. I want to send him back. But notice how Paul describes him. What does he say about Epaphroditus? My fellow brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord. How? With all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life. Why? To supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Isn't that beautiful, Epaphroditus? Do you know he's a guy you're going to meet in heaven, by the way? Oh, we know Timothy. Yeah, Timothy, that dude's rocked a couple letters written to him. He passed the church in Ephesus. But Epaphroditus, looking for good baby names, there you go. <laughs> Little E, right? You're going to meet him someday. You guys know that? You're going to meet him. Paul's like, he's my brother. We're family. We're connected. And it's because of God, it's because of the gospel, it's because of Jesus Christ, what he's done, that we are deeply connected. Do you know where to be deeply connected this morning? It's sad in the church how shallow our relationships can be. When Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That means our relationships need, what's it going to take, guys, to deepen our relationships? Nine, remember when 9-11 hit? Man, the church was packed. It was, you, man, the penalty boxes of everywhere was packed. Standing room only. And I still have some of those connections with people that were coming, that were in fellowship, but some, it was like once the smoke cleared, Okay, 9-11's over, time has passed, and the church is half-filled. What happened? Where did everybody go? Right? But what's it going to take to, I mean, you look at the, our brothers and sisters around the world, how tight they are because of what? Because of persecution? Because of hardship and difficulty? And what's it going to take for us to, man, to, to go deeper than surface level and to have real, real fellowship? real uniting 
of life. Paul says he's my brother, he's my fellow worker. He says together we labor hard for Jesus, for his glory, for his kingdom. Do you know working, working together binds us together, by the way? Connects us together. He's my fellow soldier. We, we fight the good fight together, the spiritual battle. We, we're fighting. Aren't you glad for people that have your back? Are you guys glad for people that have your back? There is nothing like having someone that has your back in ministry. It's like the best. I know Tanya has my back all the time. My bride, Tanya. It's, the, it's so wonderful knowing that you have a brother or sister fighting alongside of you. And when it gets gnarly, you know who your friends are, don't you? You find out. When things get difficult, who sticks up for you? Who is praying for you and with you? He has, he's the one who is commissioned. He's your messenger, your apostolos. He spoke on your behalf. He represented you, Paul said. When he came to me, they, the church trusted in this Epaphroditus to represent them. He ministered to my need. He faithfully came and, and served and, and poured into me. And I love this because this is the mind of Christ, isn't it, that Epaphroditus had? He was willing to make himself of no reputation. Delivery boys don't have a good reputation, do they? You don't get a trophy for being the best delivery boy of the year. I don't know, maybe if you work, do they, anybody work at Domino's or somewhere where you deliver stuff? Dom, typically, delivery boys don't get a whole lot of glory. Are you with me? You're making yourself of no reputation. He also was what? He was a servant. He, a servant lives to improve the lives of others to make others' lives better. He came to improve the life of Paul, correct? He humbled himself. In other words, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom being furthered and me being able to serve the Lord in this capacity. And he was obedient. I'm called to serve, to love, to care by my Lord Jesus, and I will do it for him, even if it's being a messenger boy, or a delivery boy. Why is that important this morning? Why, why is it important for, important for us this morning to be delivery boys and delivery girls, if necessary? Is it important? That's about a third of the room. This, half of the, this part of the room, I'm, they're not sure. That's okay. You guys remember David? You guys remember David? Old Testament dude? 1 Samuel 17. You know David was a delivery boy? You guys know that? At that time, 1 Samuel 17, you can go look it up later, check it out, scope it out. At that time, David had already been anointed by Samuel, remember? To be king. So Saul was still, in king, still king, but his kingdom, God took his hand off of Saul's life. Evil, evil spirit came to Saul, distressing him. David was called to Saul's kingdom to do what? To play whatever instrument he had, right? Play some worship tunes so that Saul would mellow out. You guys remember that? Saul was tripping. They brought in David. You guys remember that? You remember what I'm talking about? Here? And every once in a while, he'd go back to take care of his father's sheep. What was his dad's name? Jesse, thank you. He would go back and forth between the palace to go take care of the sheep. Don't, please don't miss this. This is like, it's coming to a point where I'm going to finish the Bible study. 
Because you're going to miss out on something. Because you're going to say, this is beneath me being a delivery boy, delivery girl. Or I know this story already. One time when David was home taking care of his dad's sheep, his dad said to him, I want you to deliver 10 cheeses and 10 loaves to your brothers and the army on the front lines. What did David say? Delivery boy? Dad, don't you remember the whole oil thing? Remember that? You, I was out in the field. You were, you were dissing me, but I came in. The whole, remember? Samuel came. I'm the king, anointed king. That's beneath me. I'm not a delivery boy. Did David say that? No. Deliver bread and cheese? Come on. Who does that? Can't you get a servant to do that? Can't you get one of the hired hands to do that? David did it. You remember what happened when David went to the front lines? David, that's right, David took out Goliath. Got to see the power and the awesomeness of our God because he was willing to be a delivery boy. And listen, when we are willing to be delivery boys and delivery girls, guess what the Lord does? He does awesome stuff because he's working on both ends. He's working on our hearts. And he's going to show himself mighty on your behalf because your heart is loyal to him. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on the big victory that he has for you because you're not willing. Epaphroditus, I'm down. I'll deliver. I'll take the trip. I'll deliver the stuff. And he got sick. And notice what it says in verse 26. He was really missing you and was super sad since you heard about his health. He didn't just serve people. He didn't just represent people. He felt deeply within for people. He cared about them. He cared about his, the people that sent him. Yes, he was really ill to the point of death, but God, isn't that the, such two great words, but God. What did God do? Had mercy on him, Paul says. Healed him, right? He gave him what he didn't deserve. He had mercy on me, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow, lest sorrow be heaped upon me, and the Lord take him home. And so he didn't take him home just yet. And so isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't God so good to have mercy on us, by the way? Has the Lord healed you? He's healed us, hasn't he? He's compassionate. He cares. Therefore, verse 28, look at as we finish here. I was eager to send him. That he, wait, when, he, when he reconnects with you guys, you'll be really happy and my sadness will be decreased or lessened. Epaphroditus was a guy that brought joy. Some people bring joy when they come. Some people when they leave. Some of you will get that later. It's okay. It's all right. And then Paul gives instructions to them when he comes. Continually welcome him warmly and with, with kindness, with joy. That word is grace. Because why? And he says, look, look what he says. He says, these type of people you should continually hold as dear, prized, and precious. Honor them. These type of people, Paul says, honor them. And, and here's the thing, if you don't honor them, this type of person will still be the same way. Why? Because ultimately they're doing it for Jesus, and they're looking for the honor of the Father. Whether you honor them or not, and that's the thing about ministry, when you're serving the Lord, there's not a whole lot of thanks. 
especially when you're laboring behind the scenes, changing diapers, changing the huggies, working the parking lot. Working the parking lot is another, is another no reputation job, isn't it? That was the first ministry I did at Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, and I absolutely loved it. You know why? Because people would come in from their car. They were coming to church from their car, arguing and fighting. And then right before they got in the door, you know what they would do? <sighs> Praise the Lord, brother. So I would, so just confession here, I would sneak attack them before they got into the door and pray for them. Can I pray for you guys? Sounds like things aren't going too good this morning. What is the parking guy? He's got the, he got the vest on. What's the parking guy doing praying? That's the pastor stuff, isn't it? But no, it, it's like, you know what? God wants to use you in any capacity to bless others, to help others. There's no hierarchy. We're all in this together. All parts of the body serving the Lord. And Paul says, you need to honor this guy. You need to honor him. These type of people, why? Because for the Lord's work, he almost died. He didn't care about his own life. He simply wanted to complete or to, to finish. It's interesting, this word speaks of service. It's holy or sacred service. He was the one to finish the job, the closer of this sacred service by delivering the love gift to them and to minister to Paul's needs. And what's so interesting as we finish here, that word not regarding his life, that's a gambling word in Greek. It means to risk everything on the roll of the dice. Anybody gamble here? That's what I thought. I had same response for a service. Praise the Lord. We didn't have to help you out this morning. But it says about Epaphroditus that he was, did not regard his own life. He was willing to gamble everything. How about you this morning? Are you willing to gamble everything for the Lord? For the furtherance of his kingdom? What, what do you think would happen? What kind of difference would you make in one person's life if you said, you know what? I am going to gamble everything to help this person, to lay it on the line to be involved in their life. Where do you think, well, what if we did that as a church? Where do you think we would be? You think we'd make an impact in our city? I, th I think we would. Trusting in the Lord to help us to do it. To ask him to lead and guide us. To walk, to, he's already prepared the good works for you to walk in. Now it's like, Lord, help me see clearly. To be where you want me to be to reach out to who you want me to reach out. Every person that God brings into our lives, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. God wants to use our lives in a special way to minister or to have that person minister to us. But we need to be tuned in to be seeking the things of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you.